Well, we we're only like ten <laughs> seconds in. So. Thank you so much for joining us for episode two of Anonymous Knowledge, Wisdom from People You Don't Know. I'm Jenny Walk from Elephant in the Room Consulting, and I'm very excited to have Amanda Blenner Hassett here from Brand Savvy Consulting. Hello, Jen. We've taken a couple of goes to get her name right, so I'm excited that we got that on the second take. Um, <laughs> Amanda is an amazing individual, not just as an amazing woman, but as an amazing businesswoman. She's had an incredible career over the last... You know, 10 or 15 years, if not 20. longer, 20 years, yeah. you didn't want to say that, but 20 years, from corporate to business, working in agency, um, in branding, and then starting obviously Brand Savvy Consulting, or Brand Savvy. Now, you've had an incredible journey, and we did talk before this uh, recording about this journey that you've had from corporate, and particularly uh, the change that Trump brought into the industry around women in business, but I want to take a step back from that, and I want to talk about a massive thing that happened a couple of years ago where you won the award, the biggest marketing award in Australia yes. against big companies like Coke and IBM and basically brought it up by bringing a, a great underdog product to market and beating this process. So tell us a little bit about that and then I want to talk about your work history. Sure, sure. Uh, well, I love telling this story because I think it, it gives hope to everybody in business. Uh, I'm really passionate about working with challenger brands and that means working with people that are basically underdogs in their market. They've got great opportunities but they're just trying um, to play against the big guys and you've got to be smarter when you're trying to do something like that. So oh, a number of years back now I was approached by a company called Just For Pets and they are basically like the IGO supermarkets of the pet retail industry. So they represent all the independent stores. They had a group of about 70 stores at the time. And after the GFC, when retail was going through a really tough time, investors started putting their money into one of the few sectors that was growing, and that was pet retail. So all of a sudden, these um, these independent stores that had been you know, great family and community institutions for decades uh, were under siege from some really big corporate power with uh, with deep pockets. They're in, um, actually employing people from Coles and Woolworths and using a lot of the same kind of tactics that they use in the grocery sector and some of them aren't very nice. So as a result of that, when I met my client, she uh, she lost six of their 70 stores in about six months wow. and was feeling very worried about the future, not just of her business representing them, but of all the stores. And so, we got chatting and I had worked in the food industry before in, and with Coles and Woolies so I kind of knew what those guys get up to and how to play them at their own game. So that's a whole other story there. That's a whole other story and it is one of my real motivators actually um, for why I love to do what I do. It's um, kind of the Robin Hood theory. But uh, anyway, what what's really important, you know, Marketing 101 is to say, all right, what what is our competitive advantage? What can we offer people that our competitors can't offer? And I asked her about that, but, um, Karen Justice, the CEO, and she said that Just For Pets offered superior customer service and also fantastic pet health knowledge. A lot of their staff had trained for decades um, and you could go in there and ask them all kinds of questions. They're just fabulous. And I asked her, how long did a sales consultation typically take when someone went into the store? And she said, well, it could take 15 to 30 minutes. And I thought, wow, imagine that. So a, a pet store owner is paying their staff, let's say 25 bucks an hour. So $12 has been spent on that sales consultation. And at that point in time, the market wasn't actually attributing any value to that knowledge that that person was relaying. And, and you know, the person, the customer walks out with the solution that they need, but there's no value. So we had to really think about how could we build value into this? And it got us thinking, well, what if a Just For Pets store could be the step before the vet in the same way as a pharmacy is before the doctor? And uh, we ended up building a free pet health centre into the stores and basically we, we put a little pilot into four of the stores in New South Wales 
we needed to test it and make sure it worked. It was a big idea. They, um, that company up until the point, Just For Pets, was only in the B2B sector, so they were, only the trade knew about them. So we wanted to launch Just For Pets as a national consumer brand, co-branding with the stores. And we built four of these pet health centres. We created a, a free six-point pet health check process, trained some staff, um, put together a fantastic little TV commercial on an absolute shoestring. And by that, I mean we had the producer's dog cast in the commercial. <laughs> we paid the dog in dog food. You know, that was, that was how far we could go. Um, but it just worked its socks off. We had a, an excellent creative director work on that who I used to work with, who used to be the global head of brand for Unilever. Um, so she really knew our stuff and called in a lot of favours from a lot of friends in high places, shall we say, for a good cause. And um, suffice to say that that campaign worked its absolute socks off. The results that we got from the surveys we did with customers were some of the best that the research agency, which is a global research agency, had ever seen. So it really told us we were onto something. And we took those results and we pitched them to some of the Just For Pets group's top suppliers, their top 20. And we offered them a tiered sponsorship opportunity where we weren't going to, we weren't promising that we would push their products because we had a very strict um, I guess ethical code that the pet health check was not a sales consultation it was an educational mm -hmm. experience however what we wanted was to be able to recommend to consumers good quality brands so because particularly with uh, with pet food pet food is very much a case if you get what you pay for and a lot of the supermarket kind of brands are really not much better than McDonald's for your pet despite what they tell you on the packaging and in their advertising. So um, so we really wanted to make sure that we were giving consumers the right information because uh, Just For Pets explained that 90% of pet health problems can actually be solved through nutrition. Yeah. Really big stuff. So anyway, suffice to say, the brands were super excited and supported us uh, to roll that out nationally. And there were some phenomenal results at the end of that campaign. After about 18 months of working together, that company had grown by nearly 600%. Wow. Um, which, which was sort of going from just under $2 million to $11 million company at head office level. Their group sales um, were in excess of $160 million. They had increased. Uh, the most important thing was that we had stopped the store closures because you know, we really want to see independent business continue to thrive in this country and we all know how challenging that is in the current market and with e-commerce going where it's going. So that was all very, very exciting and the most, the most fantastic thing about that campaign was that it proved something that I was very passionate about proving to the business community and that was that when a company reaches inside its heart and actually looks for you know, what, what is its meaning and purpose? How does it actually deliver value back to the community? How does it give generously of that, but in a strategic way that actually mm. delivers commercial value back to the organisation? Um, and, and we did that. We were able to not only differentiate that business, it kind of sent it rocketing into the stratosphere. They went from being a little company based in Byron Bay that you know, the trade didn't give a lot of attention to and just sort of saw them as a small town business to being the ones to watch in their entire industry. And uh, that campaign actually won not just the Australian Marketing Institute Program of the Year Award, but also seven other major awards, including three international Stevie Awards. So really exciting stuff. And it goes to show what is possible when someone is that passionate about making something work and you know I didn't go into all the details with Karen but she was an incredibly inspirational woman who her background was not as a CEO even though she was one she had been a registered nurse coming out of school um, she had always worked with animals her grandparents had owned an animal sanctuary and she was just so passionate about animals 
when she was uh, working in small town New South Wales, uh, she worked at a pharmacy as a maternity, like no, sorry, what, a baby health nurse. Yep. And she basically convinced the, and this is how we got the idea, she convinced the pharmacy owner to let her open a free baby health clinic inside the pharmacies because there wasn't enough maternal health services in that small town. And lo and behold, what she found was just by giving free information, good information to the young mums, they would end up doing a lot of their shopping in the pharmacy. And not only that, they became incredibly loyal mm. to the pharmacy. Mm. And you know, decades later, still were. So it proved something about this concept and that you don't have to sell, sell, sell to people in order to become commercially successful just by helping them. Mm. Um, adding the value. Adding value, yeah. adding value, but in a, in a way that makes sense in your business model. So what I'm really interested in, and, and this was something that you said at the very start, is coming from a background of sales and marketing myself, mm. what I really loved is your, when we talk, when most retailers talk about their staff um, and look at welfare of their staff, their front-end retail staff are probably in the order of hierarchy, probably down the peg in terms of, yes, they're the people in the store, mm. they're probably some of the lowest paid. Mm. But you didn't refer to the guy, the staff at Just For Pets as the sales staff or the sales process. I love that you talked about the sales consultation. So mm. even the language that you and your client were using around that process wasn't just about a transaction. No. It wasn't a sales transaction because if you spoke to most retailers and said that your sales transaction takes up to 30 minutes, mm. they'd be trying very hard to shorten the process mm. but you in fact reversed that idea and said this is not just a sales transaction it's a consultation yes. it's about building trust mm. it's about building connection with that client so they stay loyal to just for pets so I love and, and but from the way that you described that your whole journey that you and Karen went on was around consulting with your clients understanding their needs and building trust and loyalty by providing as you said that value to them absolutely and I mean, that was one of the real eye-openers with this. A lot of the staff actually undervalued their own expertise, They're just kind of the quiet achiever types. Mm. And so one of the challenges we actually had uh, in the pilot that we learned from was that some of the staff felt uncomfortable being elevated to this position of pet health expert. We mm. actually asked the person manning the pet health centre because it, it needed to have a, a tangible physical location in the store for people to attribute that value mm -hmm. rather than just say, hey, you can come in and talk to our staff. We're yeah, friendly and we know our staff, which is what lots of other retailers do. So we got them to wear a shirt that says, ask me, I'm a pet expert. And some of them found that challenging. And so we had to really work with them in a sense on their on their self-esteem, on their, their self-identity in that role and help them to realize actually you really do know what you're talking about. And what was really interesting was how that started to shift staff morale. Mm. So suddenly starting to see themselves as a pet health educator rather than just a sales assistant and having an important role in the community helping educate pet owners about how to look after their animals and how to build better relationships with their animals, which is what they were doing, um, really started to change how they felt about themselves and also their work. Mm. And so what we started to see, for example, was staff coming in on their day off just to check if the pet health centre was okay <laughs> and was everything working all right. And they really took ownership of it. and. So that, you know, was a really big eye-opener. But not only that, having a concept like this that was very innovative, that gave people a new way to help their customer base and differentiate themselves, had ripple effects through the whole organisation. And we actually found, for example, we had one wholesaler, um, a very important wholesaler in the industry, uh, whose sales manager, he's, he's a real emotional kind of guy, but he actually, in explaining this concept to his team, burst into tears <laughs> because he was so, so passionate. proud and passionate about what we were doing. And we, and really, even though we didn't have everyone bursting into tears, we did see that kind of reaction coming from people who have been in the game for a long time. You know, it can be a tough industry in fast-moving consumer goods. Um, short-term KPIs, a lot of pressure, and people get a bit kind of 
burned out after yeah, a while. And cynical, yeah. you know, and there's not a lot of love in the detail after a while. And no. so having something like this come along that made them feel like what they were doing was actually had a good purpose. It was actually making a difference. And then wanting to go into that to their superiors to get the budget to support the initiative to help us make it possible. That's what made the difference. Yeah. So how does a small town underdog beat the giant gorilla? It's by having something so meaningful and bigger than everyone it's about being bigger it's bigger than you it's bigger than me it's about we all know the difference that animals can make to human beings and how important that is so how do we look after our fairy friends so that they look after us and how do we just you know develop our knowledge in this area you put that on the table and all of a sudden it's not about how are we going to get an extra 1% of margin out of this? It changes the whole playing field. And it's that concept of small, foot, small footprint, big impact. Absolutely. So by, very, by making a small change and not focusing on the numbers, mm. and there's an adage that, have, that salespeople say is if you focus on the client and focus on the conversation, the numbers will come. And this is a really clear example of that. But the Absolutely. lesson I think that is really important for people who are not just in marketing, I mean, your focus here was on branding and an ad, effectively an advertisement of ad campaign that became a cultural shift in the organisation mm. and a cultural shift in your industry, mm. which is a significant change from coming to a company to say, develop an ad campaign because we're losing market share, mm. is you've gone above and beyond that. But I think the really great lesson here is it's actually about digging deep. It's about, as you said, looking inward and making sure that whatever you do for your business or your clients, it's coming from a really authentic place. Absolutely. It's not coming from, what can I do to get your, as you said, your 1%. It's actually saying, what do we need to shift underneath that piece? What are the processes? What are the practices? What is the culture we need to develop mm -hmm. to allow us to maintain that sustainable? Because anybody can get a 1% increase overnight if you, do, if you work hard, mm -hmm. but whether you can sustain it and whether it creates longevity is the key and the difference. That's absolutely it. And that's, I mean, that is one of the things in my consultancy, it's one of the things that makes the way I work different um, is that I'm very much focused on what is authentic and what is sustainable. Because if you want, if you want to have impact, if you're a purpose-driven business and you want to have impact, it has to. You have to combine that passion with the smarts. Mm. Um, you can't have one or the other, and it's really, really important to to ensure that basically what you're pitching for is the best version of yourself. I mean, that's it. We make this stuff sound um, really aspirational. The reality is, it's very challenging to do that, uh, but it's worth it. And sure. so you, if you are calling people, if you're calling your staff, you're calling your suppliers to support you in something like that, people want to help you. If you're trying to just bully your way around a market just because you want more money and you want it to come at somebody else's expense, people will feel a lot less love for you. Correct. And they're going to want to know what are you going to do to make it worth their while. And that's where you just you know drop into the same old, same old of the dog eat dog business world. So, yeah. and you basically it's a race to the bottom. It's a well, it can be. It yeah. can be. It's certainly not getting anyone anywhere no. anytime soon. It's just more money moving rounds, people moving rounds, not necessarily being fulfilled, but doing what they have to do short term. This is more about the long term. So, people listening to this podcast will realize that will will have probably been realizing that here's Amanda talking about. I asked her about her award and what brought about the award. And I think we've spent the last 15 minutes talking nothing about your award and talking about the, the journey that you went on. Mm. But I think that's, that really speaks to you and the way that you run Brand Savvy is mm. that the award is wonderful, the award was icing, and, and it's an incredible achievement for any company to make, but particularly a, a, a small marketing company the size of Brand Savvy mm. in the market that you're in. So, mm. But it really speaks to you and your, your personal values. And I think that's the piece I really want um, listeners to kind of tap into. So we talked, and I, I, I rushed over to the start quite deliberately because I want to spend some time now. You moved from corporate and business and in, in agencies and mm. working in agencies, and then a couple of years ago there was a big shift, mm. not only globally but also in the way that you looked at the world. Mm. I'd really love you to talk to your your story and that shift that you for you mm. that happened around the time that Trump got elected. 
Yeah, absolutely. I um, After we won all the awards, I, I kind of went into a reflective space for a while because I, I'm quite a, I like a good challenge and I felt like I'd, I'd really nailed more than I ever expected. <laughs> I mean, great to do and, and happy to do it again. But um, but it really let, left me wondering, well, what, what's my next thing? And I sat with that for a long time and continued to do great work with great clients. But what felt like the next big shift was leading up to when Trump was elected and just having this real sense of that there's some things that aren't right in this world. And I mean, I started Brand Savvy because of what I was seeing in the business world way back, but it, it's spread. It's uh, it's a complete world issue now, our values and ethics and how that's playing out in the long-term sustainability of our planet. Um, same stuff, different scale. Yeah. So anyway, I when Trump was elected, I just, I felt a real internal shift. Obviously around that time, there was a lot in the media about the pussy grabbing incident. And I thought if, I'm, if something like that can be released to the media and yet a man like that is still elected, there, that says something really concerning about our values yeah. as a society. And I, I felt less safe, less safe as a woman knowing that a man like that was a role model to other men and effectively by association permitting other men to behave that way. And I thought, I don't want to kind of crawl under a rock for the next four years if he manages to stay in term that long. Uh, I need to do something about it. And at the time I was living in the Sunshine Coast, meeting some fabulous women up there who a lot of whom had relocated to the region. They'd come from corporate backgrounds. They were incredibly talented, wonderful women, and yet far away from their friends, trying to start life over and really lacking in confidence. Often they were trying to start their own business uh, or kind of develop one they already had. And what I could see was that they were getting stuck, either because of self-doubt or low self-esteem, or because they they had a genuine issue and they didn't know how to move forward. And so I helped at that time to launch a, a small mentoring program in the region, which was great. And it was just kind of like a, it was like a drop in drop out sort of style program. People could come when they needed help. Uh, and I was the person on the team that could help with marketing, branding, commercial stuff. And anyway, somehow, in a short period of time, I also was contacted by uh, Jeanette Dal Santo, the founder of Women Initiating New Directions organisation. And she had had an idea over the kitchen sink about creating a women's festival and a not-for-profit to help empower women very visibly in our culture. Because at the moment, so much of what women do, women do goes under the radar. And it actually requires, there's so much unconscious bias and all that sort of stuff going on, we don't even see it. We were talking before that there's the idea of a female entrepreneur or a successful businesswoman is to some extent somewhat of a unicorn and we use that term beforehand saying that it's amazing to see, it's powerful, it's strong and everybody leans towards it but then it disappears and, and the message goes. So it's about creating sustainability. So window is about creating sustainability of women into entrepreneurs and providing that longevity and giving them the power they need. It's actually not just isolated to entrepreneurs. Window is about creating cultural change. Um, so, you know, when we talk about women in, it, it's, when you unravel this, it's absolutely fascinating. And it would take probably two podcasts to get through it. So I'm <laughs> gonna try and give you like a real snapshot. Yeah. Um, I went and researched this because I wanted to know how do women become unequal? And I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, which is that there is um, evidence in history that there wasn't really the matriarchal kind of culture that people talk about, but there have been egalitarian cultures. And actually around the time of the hunter-gatherers, say 10,000 years ago, there was much more existence of egalitarian culture. Mm. We lived in small groups, we were much more reliant upon each other for survival. And even though human nature was, even then, human nature, um, and sometimes the tendency to individualise and worry about oneself ahead of one's neighbour, the social culture was very strong yeah. about um, no one getting too big for their boots 
and working together for survival. And it's the premise of most Indigenous cultures in, in, you know, around the world, particularly here in Australia, around community and creating uh, sustainability for the community as a whole rather Absolutely. than as individuals. Yes. Exactly, exactly. And so what happened from what I can gather, and it's interesting because really female anthropologists and uh, historians only started to really come on the scene around the 1960s because up until then, of course, women what would women know about these things, you know? <laughs> so there, there weren't women history keepers uh, in the way that there are now, and there certainly weren't women analysts of history. So a lot of history has been kept through a male lens. Um, so it's naturally going to be a little uneven. Yeah. Anyway, um, what, they, what they found was that women started to become unequal because we started to have agriculture and agriculture allowed us to start to amass resources and I'm super paraphrasing this is um, you know this sort of change took place over 5,000 years it was different in different cultures um, however from what I can gather agriculture changed everything because we could collect things and once we could collect things somebody had to be in charge of those things and that person that was in charge of those things got to say if I got them but you didn't and vice versa and so power structures started to change and it started to become a lot more political men seemed to have the greater tendency to want to amass things for themselves women had more collective values and where once upon a time both men and women had had roles in the community and effectively in economy and trade uh, at equal levels, women started to become marginalised because of their pesky desire to want to share things with people. So, uh, and, and religion that came in and played a role with all of that as well. So that was sort of like a very brief history of time. And so, you know, we're still playing out the effects of all of that now. Yeah. And you can't, can't so what it, what it told me was in actual fact, women's inequality at its root is about the distribution of income and wealth. And you could probably yeah. consider many, many marginalised communities are affected for the same reasons. And we, you know, unless there was a giant world war, um, you know, some huge natural disaster, there's not really any likely way that that's going to get levelled anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, how do we change things in light of that? And the punchline of that is women in leadership. So it's, what, what I'm talking about here, we, we actually already know a lot of this, but now we, I understand certainly for myself why, why it's true. And so if you don't have women in leadership roles in the public eye, um, as well as obviously having influence at that level, then women just remain in the background. And we already have so much of that going on, where women women are effectively running organisations, but from the middle management level. Uh, you know, the secretary is organising the manager and knows exactly what she's doing, but never gets any of the credit. There's so, you know, that's been going on for decades now. And it's time that things changed, but in order for things to change, women have to find new ways to relate to their roles. Uh, they need to be supported in making the changes. It's, it, they're big, big changes. Mm -hmm. Learning how to, to put your head up above water where we've been taught to keep it underneath. So it's, and, and the key thing there is not just about the tokenism of saying we have a percentage of women in our senior leadership or middle management. Right. It's actually about not about the number of people in the positions, it's about the level of influence they have mm -hmm. in those roles. Mm -hmm. and I think there's, from, from my perspective and looking at history and looking at the, the environment that I've been in, there has certainly been a disconnect between the number of women being publicly made, uh, touted as these are percentages we hold, so therefore we're ticking the box around, you know, women integration for a better term. But really, the influence that they may have hold, that they may have held at the time, is far far less. So it's it's not just having a balance of women in business; it's actually about power, influence, power and influence in those positions. Absolutely, and. And I think we need to make structural changes mm. that, and if quotas to some degree are necessary in order to ensure that women are getting those opportunities, and I understand the reasons why people don't always support that kind of a strategy, um, 
how we were just coming out of the, the Women of the World Festival, that was certainly something that was repeated as necessary from people that are experts in this area. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, the other thing that is going on is the cultural container in which all of this is going on. Um, and by culture, I mean, we're talking about the way we relate to life, our belief systems, our values. And I think it's fair to say that our, our values have eroded at a social level. Um, I think there's a lot of people with very good intentions. However, we now have corporations and power structures that have so much control and influence over what we get to do uh, that that are looking after themselves or that are manipulating the way that people exist. And I know, because I work in marketing, I know the kind of manipulation that goes <laughs> on, um, that people have no idea about. And so... But it's interesting you talk about that, and as a bit of a segue, it, it, that's come to light more recently with the changes that even Facebook has made to the way they're filtering information that you see. Mm. So you have somebody else determining for you which information is important to you based on the preferences that you've placed in Google or you've mm. searched online. Mm. And so that, it, it, and to some extent, it's that same, it's same idea of um, censorship mm. about saying, this is the information that you need to see, this is the stuff that you don't need to see because it's not important by some arbitrary or some individual deciding for you rather than saying, here is the smorgasbord, make a choice yourself. That's so right. really what we're trying to get back is the opportunity for people to make the choice and have the opportunity to see and hear and talk and create the space rather than being censored to some extent. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that what you're touching on there is actually the reason I created Brand Savvy because what I could, I'm a, I'm a capitalist, I'm a conscious capitalist, I believe very much in the open market, however... I would argue that at the moment it's it's a very unequal playing field mm. and what happens is people are making choices from an uninformed place and there's certainly services that are coming along now that are trying to help consumers have access to better information and not just consumers but citizens. Um, however, there's an awful lot of misinformation and lack of education out there and the only way for people to be able to make better choices or to be responsible for whatever choice they make is to be fully informed of the considerations. And so I, I'm very passionate about helping the, shall we say, the underdogs that are trying to do better in the market and provide better options to be able to get their message and get their product and their business out to market in a way that gives people that choice. And if they choose not to do it, and then so be it, that's their choice. Mm. Um, but if they don't know that it exists and they don't know that better options are there, then they can't make a better choice. Mm. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's so important. So if it, so going back to the, the work that you've done, particularly Window and Wow, I know there's, I think that that conversation that you and I have had offline a number of times around the dialogue and the culture. Mm. How do you see us being able to do that? So I know, I mean, this is a you know, a 10-year plan, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. Mm. This is something that we have to do consciously to change our language and we've talked previously around the language that we use in terms of the very male-dominated and the masculine-dominated language that exists mm. in most vocabularies. Mm. So how do we start shifting that and what are some ways that people listen to this thinking, well, actually, you know, I'm starting to recognise this inequality and this shift but may not have that same passion or understanding. What are some ways that we can change that language? Change our language? I think it's, uh, I think it's just at the very beginning starting to notice your thoughts and your beliefs. Uh, because we, we all barrel through life busy and often not noticing the detail, but think it becomes important to when you're making decisions when you're reacting to maybe an article you've read online or or something just to start to notice your own reactions and to question them um, because it's I mean it's one thing to question everybody else but when do we question ourselves and really 
<laughs> was it Michael Jackson that said, um, with man in the mirror, if you want to make some change, <laughs> start, with yourself, yeah. start with yourself. And there's some real truth in that. And so I think just even starting to notice where, and you know, for example, speaking as a woman, how much do women put women down? Mm. Women don't like seeing other women succeed, particularly if they think that woman's going to somehow have more power and influence over them than they are comfortable with. And so there's a real tendency for women to tear each other down. And often, not overtly, often it's kind of covert um, and passive aggressive. And so it's starting to, starting to notice where that happens and um, to accept that I think we all have a shadow side. And this is, I mean, jumping to the very front of the conversation of where I'm at at the moment, uh, this is where I think the planet is going, uh, is and certainly people, consumers, human beings, um, is starting to, starting to look at our own shadows because what we're seeing on the global stage, uh, and thanks to the likes of Donald Trump, is the shadow in other people. Mm. You know, he's a really great mirror of what it looks like when someone is blustering around the world unaware of their impact on other people. Or alternatively not caring about their impact on other people. Or not which, is caring. Almost, which is almost more devastating than if you do un- if you if you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And and denial's a powerful thing. Mm. You know, because I mean, while <laughs> while you could maybe guess that that Trump has some clinical stuff going on that has him be in complete denial of his behaviour, somewhere deep down inside that sentient being will be an awareness um, that he desperately doesn't want to acknowledge. And so obviously there's there's a huge spectrum where he represents the far extreme, but there's many other levels of that. And what I'm saying is I think we all need to look at our own behaviour and say, okay, well, where, where do I act in passive-aggressive ways? Where do I scapegoat others? Where do I not take responsibility for my part in things? Mm-hmm. Where do I refuse to forgive others when they're out of action? Where do I lack courage to have difficult conversations when they're important? Mm-hmm. And in being able to address those things in ourselves at a personal level, let alone at a professional level, let alone at a leadership level, let alone at a government level, uh, at a level of international relations, do we start to change the playing field? Mm. Because I've seen some information before about the fact that really where we have these huge impasses between countries, between factions, between um, you know political parties and so on, I think we can all agree that there's a lack of meaningful dialogue going on, certainly a lack of constructive dialogue, because everything's so black and white. And so if people can't learn how to stand in their own power and to be able to listen to someone else constructively, even even if they're not, even if what they're saying is out of line, even if their behaviour is uncalled for, if we can't learn how to be bigger people and to not be triggered by that into dragging ourselves down to other people's levels, then where's anything going to go? Mm. You know, and that's the task. That's the task for every single one of us, regardless of what our life looks like right now. Mm. And, what and it's interesting, and that, and that piece, and the, the shadow side piece is something that I've spent a, a large amount of time recently talking about and thinking about with colleagues and and, and and friends around that importance of self-reflection mm-hmm. and the amount of self-help and articles that sit on the on the table that you can get you can google the challenge with a lot of those inf- that that information is is that it's giving people instructions or telling them what they need to do mm-hmm. but the, without that connection as you said that the dialogue doesn't actually extend to connecting with that individual's heart or their personal values mm-hmm. so they're saying yes this is something i need to do or this is not me because they're unwilling to or they're unable to or they don't have the space available. And to some extent, I think that goes back to the challenges that women in business have, is they feel that they don't have the space or the support or the ability to be able to 
stand in their space mm. and say what they want to say and be confident to move forward and you know to show uh, to show Sandberg's Sandberg's view of leaning into it mm -hmm. that idea of owning who you are in spite of your gender absolutely <laughs> as opposed to these days and for the last you know four or five decades particularly it's very much been defined by your gender Mm -hmm. And I, you know, my background is in military. I spent the first seven years in, of my career in the military, and I was blessed to have managers and mentors within within the Air Force in Australia who didn't care what gender I was and listened to the conversation and didn't define me by my gender. Mm -hmm. But that's not true of many women in organisations or particularly in government. Mm -hmm. So, as someone who's been in business for ten years and mm -hmm. been successfully running. Um, and being on the bleeding edge of not only marketing and branding, but also these conversations with your clients, and you know, and we said the bleeding edge of the of you know visionaries and innovators. What is the advice you give to somebody, whether it's a, a you know a young woman coming through business, or whether it's a somebody waiting for their next promotion and their middle manager's going, you know, how am I going to do this? What's the advice you would give somebody on how they can stand and own that power themselves? Great question. Um, look, I think I think the reality is that we're all on a journey, and we we were all you know we're all to some degree a product of our upbringing, and I think if you're the kind of person who is awake or in the process of waking up, um, that there will be a part of you that's calling you in a particular direction, um, or possibly you just feel like you're sitting around in a fog not knowing where you're going but either way it's okay um, both states are part of the process and I think it's really a, it is about leaning in um, you know I, I've sort of I'm a bit loath to use those phrases that mm. become incredibly overused and trite but it it is about just allowing those processes and also I think starting to I mean, this is the stuff that I'm learning at the moment. So I'm giving you the benefit of my learning from one of my very visionary clients who's doing some incredible work about women's leadership. Um, I'll give you a, I'll give her a free plug now because she uh, offers a free month, monthly webinar. Um, her name is Liana Allison with a A L L I S O N, and she has the Empathic Leadership Institute and is basically teaching women how to move through whatever the stuff is that's in their way so that they can keep moving forward and one of the things that she talks to me about is allowing the uncomfortable feelings because we all want to push them away and there's a lot of stuff particularly if you're involved in the you know kind of personal development new agey world where it's all very love and light and you know it's effectively it's a bad thing if you feel fear and it's a bad thing if you feel anger because really what you should be feeling is um, rainbows and unicorns and stardust and love and unconditional love for the world. Well, let's just be realistic about how life really goes. Yeah. And, and, I I find, and I find it interesting as, as people do the, the terms of you should and you must do because the whole point is should and must are words that by definition actually limit your thoughts rather than actually opening you up to have those conversations. Well, I think it. I think what that does is it. It now, and I've spent yeah. a lot of time in that world, so it, it's been. Uh, some things have really, really challenged my thinking in the last twelve months about all of that, and um, and basically, when we talk about integrating the whole of ourselves, it is a process of like like the yin and yang. It's the light and the dark, the dark and the light, and the light and the dark, and that is the reality of our humanity and at the moment that real um, what I would call kind of Western spin on new ageiness mm. that is leaning all towards the nice stuff it's kind of like eating a lot of chocolate it's all the good feeling stuff yep. without having your veggies there's no balance there's no balance and the reality is that humans we have difficult feelings but understanding why we have them and that they're not a bad thing so this is the part this is the part that for me is new and that Liana is teaching me as my client uh, but she what she's explaining is that difficult emotions are actually messengers they're not there to 
beat you up. They're not there to make you feel bad about yourself. They actually contain wisdom. And it's actually learning what they're trying to tell you that enables emotional mastery. So, you know, we all know that feeling of being in the workplace and something comes up, maybe somebody, you know, has a crack at you over something that's uncalled for. And you either, you know, for me personally, in the past, I'd either want to deck them, you know, <laughs> so I get sudden, sudden rage. Um, or you retreat. Or retreat, yeah. retract, and, but then feel really angry and then feel upset with myself that I didn't say something, you know, and sort of like two extremes. And what Leona tries to teach is, you know, that's okay for starters. That's a completely normal way to respond in our current social conditioning. Um, however, how could you notice the feeling and then understand what the feeling is trying to tell you? So maybe it's trying to tell you, actually, I don't like being spoken to that way and I don't deserve to be spoken to that way. And I don't think that person realises that when they say this, it makes me feel like that. Yes. Um, but to be able to kind of slow yourself down and get yourself back to a place of being grounded and not reactive so that you can respond to that person and say, hey, I know you just said this, but blah, 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 and actually have a grown-up response to the situation that's much more empowered. I mean, that's leadership. It's, yeah. it's actually recognising that you can't, you can't block all the problems out. That's, it actually makes life incredibly complicated. You limit your options enormously. So what you need to develop is the ability to be with the problems and respond to them in an empowered way. And I talk about, with people that I know, about being uncomfortable in the uncomfortable. So being comfortable in the uncomfortableness. That's right. So knowing that there's anxious, knowing that those feelings exist, but literally letting them go so they come through and flow through you so they don't stay. Yeah. They just, you become a vessel for it. You, rather than becoming a vessel for it, you become just an open door. So they come in and out and don't let them hold, don't hold on to them so much. That's right. And and part of the reason that I think we have the resistance to that, because that's what Liana teaches as well, is, you know, allow the feeling, don't, atta don't get attached to it mm -hmm. and don't try and put labels on it because it, once it starts going into the head rather than it just being an experience that's passing through you, um, we, we tend to then lock into it and I, look, I'm as guilty of it as the next person. Um, however, when you can allow it to pass through you and just allow it to speak its message to you in whatever way, whether it's in that moment or it's later on, uh, then you stand to grow from situations and that builds your self-esteem, that builds your sense of resilience, independence, the ability to take on whatever life throws at you without the same sense of fear and trepidation that keeps us small. And so when we talk about women stepping up, women stepping into leadership, women do tend to be more emotional. And so emotional mastery for that reason is so, so important. Mm. And we've been, we've basically been taught wrong since we were kids. You know, where we were little and we felt fear, oh, don't, don't be afraid. Or, you know, don't be angry. No, stop that. I don't want to hear that behavior. Rather than saying, well, why are you angry? What's upsetting you? Okay, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. I didn't realize I upset you or whatever it might be. Um, big, big changes. So anyway, so that's, that's the process that we're on. And not just women, but men too. We're, we're on the cusp of evolution. You know, this is this time, this set of dynamics has never existed on our planet before. And so no wonder everybody's finding it challenging and certainly nothing that we can wave a magic wand and fix overnight. But we can all continue to take the steps, um, whether that's in our personal life or it's in our business or it's how we spend our time. What are we going to contribute to that's going to make a difference? And I think it's an interesting, and you mentioned this earlier, but what you've just been talking about there, I think, lends itself really nicely to a conversation. It's getting back to the idea of community. So we talked about, you know, when we had a more egalitarian and we, it, the idea was around a sense of community, particularly in Indigenous cultures, men and women had their roles to play and had, had their, you know, parts to play in the community and both were equally valued. Yes. Because without, without each other, they would go wanting. Mm -hmm. Whereas these days, there is such a push to be independent, to be on your own, to be able to function as an as a individual human. Mm -hmm. The idea of being able to function effectively as a community and the needs that we 
that we have been fulfilled by community is something that we're only starting to really tap into again. Mm -hmm. Because I, I mean, I know growing up there was that idea, I can do it on my own, I don't need help. You know, you see the all-powerful women in the TV series and in the movies, which were very independent. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they um, pushed away any support and help because they wanted to do it on their own. Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, success, particularly in that leadership role and being able to lean, to, to lean in or stand in your own ground and really own your own being requires community requires Absolutely. support and, I, and I, I like the fact that that conversation you're having there about being able to share who you are and own your own feelings and move through that piece and having that emotional resilience that you need mm -hmm. really does require support of somebody else because you need somebody else mm -hmm. male and female to say this is good and this is good for you and this is the right way of working for you mm -hmm. it may not be for me mm -hmm. and what you're doing impacts me differently but you need reflection and you talk about your shadow side that to me is what community offers the opportunity for people to to reflect and and show people their shadow side and help them understand and learn that because sometimes you don't see what you don't know exists absolutely and we, we learn all our biggest lessons through our relationships with others exactly and it's very true i think you know i get the impression that in times gone by there certainly in tribal times there were social rules there were kind of clear expectations about how one was meant to conduct oneself how uh, relationships between different members of the community worked and I get the impression that over time that has eroded to the point that we are where we are now and part of the things part of what makes this time so challenging is that I don't think we often know how to relate to one another there's less of a sense of the rules, which means it becomes more like the Wild West. It's every man for themselves, and it's very easy to misinterpret one another's behaviour um, because we don't have the same code. You know, we're coming and that from goes our back to values and principles that we talked about earlier. Yeah, there's a, and and so it's all different. And so what becomes really critical then is our ability to be transparent and to work through miscommunication or misalignment. So if we can't get to that point where we can be steady in ourselves and, and have conversations mm. about things that are constructive, then what tends to happen is we judge each other and we push each other away. And then we're not working as a team, we're not working through the problems, and we're not making progress. We're kind of, you know, at best we might feather our own nest and hope that we weather the storm. There's lots of metaphors all thrown in together. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, you know, we're looking after ourselves, but too bad about our neighbour, you know, and that's... Without a sense of... Without a recognition of without our neighbour, we're not whole. Well, because absolutely. Because you, you need to have that... Again, it goes back to that community piece, and I think... And, and, I, and, and you mentioned earlier about some of the work that Window and WOW are doing, and, and I know we've come a, a, a big circle around talking about self-development and, and where we are, and for me that's this a topic that I can talk all day about. This is, a, this is how every conversation <laughs> with me goes, in big circles, yeah. And, and that's really, to, from, the, from the conversations that we've had and the work that you've been doing, and yeah. particularly with Brand Savvy and your clients, but also with the work that you as Amanda are doing in the... Uh, and I don't, and I use this this phrase tentatively, the women's movement. Yes. But it's the positive feminism. Yeah. Um, so it's relabeling feminism from what it was, what it's what it's been depicted as mm. in the past, mm. to, you know, and not new age because that has its own label to itself. But to me, it's positive feminism. It's about it's about re reigniting the value and the internal worth that we as women know we have yes. and that in fact our partners and our colleagues and our friends know exists in us as well mm. but really doing that social change so that at, at a global level that happens and I guess things like Trump coming into power where his behavior and behavior of others that have flown and come in, into the into the market since he's been elected mm. is is difficult to 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 swallow to some extent because it's saying it's okay because he's condoning the behaviour that as a positive feminist you're trying to change. I think Trump in some ways has done the world a really big favour um, and the favour that he's done is by, um, you know, when we talk about shadows, shadows are things that are behind us, they're things that we don't see often and what Trump's done is, is kind of put 
the unpleasantness of what is going on under the surface right in the middle of the table so no one can avoid it. And it's forcing everybody to admit the reality and to start to question how we got here. What is going on that's allowing a situation like this to exist and what does it say about us and as a result what do we need to do to change? And so he's, I think he's a giant wake up call in many ways. And so really, yes. <laughs> how can we, but how can we use it? Let's, you know, I think one of the worst things that can happen is when life comes and del- delivers you a huge lesson and you don't learn from it. So you just keep repeating it. So let's, let's not have five trumps in a row. Let's, let's actually look at this situation and say, well, what does it mean? And it do, it's not just a wake-up call for the US, obviously. No. As we know, in Australia, we have all kinds of things going on. Um, even, you know, the WOW Festival, I discovered that we're the only one of the Commonwealth of Nations that doesn't have a treaty with its First Nations people. So... I'm, I'm well aware of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, look, I'm, 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 if I'm honest, I'll admit, I, I'm not... I've not known a lot about the detail of the history with our Indigenous people. I'm certainly learning a lot at the moment. And um, and there is there's some really big jobs ahead of our government, our nation, to address, be honest about the things that have happened and to find a way to bring some resolution to that. Uh, and really, I mean, as, as a national identity, we're not going to be healed until we do. But that is a completely separate topic. Definitely. So, <laughs> and one that I would be very happy to have at a later date. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I think what I, and what I really enjoyed about this conversation today is that while we've, our journey in our conversation has been, you know, one that's travelled kind of far and wide, mm. there's been a really common principle which comes back to that idea of, of self-empowerment. Mm-hmm. And, and really being self-aware of who you are, knowing your strengths, but being comfortable with your blind spots and comfortable with your faults or missteps and being able to own those in an authentic way so that when you present into the world, whether you're a, a mother, cleaner, CEO, whoever it is, that your leadership and your presenting leadership mm-hmm. as an individual, mm-hmm. regardless of what you do, mm-hmm. And I I love that kind of common principle which comes back to what you're doing with your business and your clients and really lends itself to that first story that when you're talking about, you know, just for pets and the fact that the conversations you're having start with values and principles. So understanding what is it we're standing for, what is it, how do we present and how we walk, you know, walk in the world Mm. really defines how other people will view us. Absolutely. Uh, But most of all it defines how we view ourselves and I think I think that is the the challenge is to is to start to question what our values really are and where are we not in alignment and um, a lot of people are nervous about that because they're afraid of what they'll find mm. they're afraid that it might require change and they're afraid of change but I guess when it comes to when it comes to my world, the choices I've made and the choices a lot of my clients make, um, we're all pioneers and we're people that can't live with, it's actually more uncomfortable um, to, to be like, to be that way than it is to, to be on this journey of the unknown. Yeah. And so I, it's not for everybody, however, it is, it's a very exciting journey full of learning and discovery and challenges and it's never a dull day and i'd be really keen to talk to you again maybe in a year when the next world festival and and as window progresses to talk about some of those changes and to see the shift that you're moving in the world to see how that's going and what changes are occurring and and we don't we don't think it's going to move quickly and it may move quickly it may not but i think there'll be some some things we can change today the way that we look, the way that we talk about ourselves, mm. the way that we present to others, as you say, the way that we communicate and creating proper dialogue rather than talking at people, mm. listening to what people are saying and mm. really taking that on board mm. rather than rejecting um, what other people are saying because it doesn't necessarily fit with your construct of the world our and, and, our, and our world of view. Mm. Um, so I, I think we've 
probably gone full circle. <laughs> um, I am, I've had such an amazing conversation. Um, for those who missed the start, and I, and I may have not have said it as clearly as I should have, Amanda is, is working on the bleeding edge of not only marketing, but the way that you do business consulting, working with innovators, pioneers, and visionaries to really build positive and world impactful organizations and I think that I mean I know you didn't describe it that way and that's probably not the most eloquent way but I think what you're doing is trying to make a conscious shift in the way that we work the way that we market and the way that we interact with people Absolutely. and you're just you're doing that one client at a time through the work you're doing with Brand Savvy and then the support you're doing for the not-for-profits that you're doing with. Mm. So Brand Savvy's been around for 10 years and, and growing every year. Uh, brandsavvy.com.au on the website anonymousknowledge.com you'll have all the details and also the details for Liana Allison which I'd love to put up so that mm. people connect, can connect with, with her empathetic webinars or empathetic... Um, empathic leadership. Empathic leadership webinars yeah. every month um, because I think that's something that everybody um, really needs to start tapping into. Um, if you want to learn more about Amanda, please tap into her website, connect with her on socials, which will be on the website. Um, thanks again. Thank you very much, Amanda. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much.